I don't know why we even bothered finding a beer pairing for this one. Like, if the producers of this movie aren't going to bother connecting this to the actual Halloween franchise or witches, really, like, what's the point? Why do we even bother? <laughs> it is kind of fucking baffling that they chose to make this a part of the Halloween franchise and to call it the season of the witch, because neither are a part of this story. I mean, they mentioned witches, but I think like it's kind of, like, thrown in there at the end. Like, they realize halfway through, like, oh, fuck, we didn't mention witches at all. We got to add this in here. There's, like, just the briefest connection, and they do show on, like, one tube TV, a like brief mention of the Halloween movie series. But that opens up all these other questions and issues also, which we will definitely get into as we move through this. But what a fucking mess this is. Eh? Oh, what a gong show of a Halloween movie. Absolutely. I was waiting for Michael Myers all fucking movie and uh, no luck here. Oh, you're still fucking waiting. Yeah. That's what's happening here. <laughs> Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan. And uh, this year for our Halloween episode, it's our third season and we thought, but what a better way to celebrate than by watching Halloween 3, <laughs> Season of the Witch. <laughs> we need to stop trying to make connections, I guess, is what this movie's telling us. It's the only time those words have ever been said. <laughs> what a great way to celebrate by watching Halloween 3. Yeah. Yeah, man, this movie is always found on lists of, like, the worst movies um, for the reasons we already alluded to. The connection to the Halloween franchise is completely non-existent. The connection to witches is, like, barely a thing, so... Really odd choices, some of many in this film. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I know we're going to, I think we have slightly differing opinions on this. This is the first time I've seen it. I, had you seen it before? Once before. This is okay. this was trip two for me. It's trip two. So has a kind of like spooky Halloween horror movie, like time of year Halloween, not as in the franchise. It's not completely ineffective, but... It is a bullshit connection <laughs> to the Halloween franchise. Yeah, that it really is. And we'll be covering all of the weird elements and twists and turns as we go through the episode here. But before we do that, we always choose a beer to pair with the movie. And this one, I mean... Again, why do we even bother? Why do we even bother making a connection? So it, it would be a wonderful connection if this movie had any fucking witches in it. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be drinking a beer called Witch's Hat. <laughs> and uh, I mean, based on the title of the movie, that sounds like a great connection. Uh, based on the contents of the movie, not as much. But uh, this is from the Second Wedge Brewing Company. Uh, they're based out in Uxbridge, Ontario. Uh, and uh, they kind of pride themselves on building really cool ales. So it's a place that's focused on ales. And this is a black IPA. Have we drank one of those on the podcast yet? A black IPA? I've never yeah. heard of a black IPA. What does that even mean? It is an IPA. So it is a strong ale that is heavily hopped. But instead of using lighter um, malts, like lighter grains, when they make it, they use ones that are more similar to what you'd use in a porter or a stout. So ones that have been cooked longer, they're darker. And so it should add to it some more kind of like coffee and nutty flavors along with a very hoppy kind of finish like you get in a traditional IPA. So that sounds like I will enjoy this more than other IPAs. I think maybe because you tend to really enjoy stouts and porters in their, like darker flavors. Yeah. So this might be something that you enjoy more. It's still going to finish hoppy. Uh, You're still going to gonna get a lot of that hop in your mouth. Are you centennial hops in this one, which I really why like? Why do you always say in your mouth? I don't understand <laughs> that. It always seems so uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's why I say it that way. Uh, that's fair. I know. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this brewery, I, I think I've had one or two of their beers before, but I haven't drank a lot from them. They took a really big hit last spring. Uh, there was a tornado in May that went through and kind of really damaged their facilities. Oh, so shit. 
Yeah, so we try to get beers to sort of support them. Uh, they were brewing out of other people's facilities. I'm not quite sure if they're open up again, but uh, definitely if you get a chance, buy some Second Wedge beer, hopefully support them as they reconstruct or get moving again on their feet in a newly sort of opened or renovated space. Yeah, man, I hope they're all right. That's really shitty. Mother Nature, right? Yeah, well, hopefully this beer isn't really shitty. Let's, oh, uh... It's going to be delicious. I'm looking forward to it. Let's crack it open. Sounds good. After the Universal logo, we opened with some truly incredible 1980s computer graphics and flickering monitor effects here in the opening credits. I guess they're going for like an ominous futuristic thing here, but like there's no way these could have looked good at the time, right? I think they might have. Oh, God, really? Yeah. I. So one of the things that became super clear super early in this is, one, that techno or like digital music was going to become the driving mood factor in the entire movie. Yeah. So we're getting, synth. Yeah, we're getting synth, just jammed with synth at the start here. It is creepy. And then we get, it almost looks like, you know how the old printers would like run across and move down? I had that same thought. Yes. Yeah, like you're getting one line at a time of like graphic. And here. this is how the graphics would load on our screen and they'd be very flashy. Um, and it's building and you can tell it's starting to build a jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> it forms into the shape of a jack-o'-lantern. And from there we fade into Northern California, October, Saturday, the 23rd. They're giving us all kind of date information here in case you wanted to fucking journal this or something. So many screen prompts in this. This yeah. is the first of what is going to be many they're really trying to keep you on track i was wondering very quickly in watching this whether people were confused as fuck and they had to go put these in after so that people could help keep track of the timeline they're probably confused and they're like where's michael myers what's happening here (laughs) so we see a guy running right away and i assume michael myers is going to be chasing after him oh not even a little bit no uh yeah he's running down what looks kind of like a stretch of industrial california road i think he was under an overpass at one point he ends up at an office trailer banging desperately on the door as we see a mysterious car pull up. He tries to sneak out of the parking lot he's in, but as he turns to make his escape, we get a jump scare as he runs right into what looks like either a 1980s Jehovah's Witness or the bass player in a new wave band. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> we knew he was going to come out from behind because when they show the car first driving past, there are two people, and when it pulls back, there's only one in there. So we know that this guy's in trouble. Someone's coming up to get him. I love the description as a member of a new wave band. Well, he's got like, that skinny suit, right? With like the, yeah, I don't know, whoever this wiry guy is he starts strangling our runner to death but the same car that was seemingly chasing him pulls up and very slowly hits the guy strangling the other guy i don't understand that at all no no that's not what happened yeah no yes no no not at all it's the same car man no yes it's not even close so so what car is it then so what happens is this place that they've gone into is a car lot yeah so he's trying to find the people who own the car lot trying to find some help the guy who was running away He gets tackled by the person who came from behind over the fence, and he's down on the ground. And while he's down on the ground being strangled, he notices that in the car lot, there is a chain attached to a tire hold, one that prevents a car from rolling. I missed that completely. He yanks it out, and then the slowest possible fucking roll of a car ever pins the guy choking him between them and we get the lamest kind of like uh, death ever. But he doesn't make any noise. He makes no noise at all and he totally sees the car coming and just lets it happen. Just doesn't move. Yeah, no. He had about seven minutes to get off of him before the car squished him um, while he was choking and he didn't. So the guy is successfully, the guy on the ground who was being choked successfully escapes from under there. Oh yeah, and from there we cut to a gas station attendant watching some TV and our first but not last instance of the Silver Shamrock 
like blank more days till Halloween commercial. Get used to hearing that one. It's this movie about 5,000 fucking times. Halloween, Halloween. <laughs> Seven more days till <laughs> Halloween. God damn, dude. <laughs> we get some green graphics and a shamrock, and it was kind of confused. I didn't understand why the Irish connection to uh, Halloween was going on. They're really the villains of this movie. The, the Irish, I, the Irish I know. Yeah. I, I think you picked this on purpose to bring up my like kind of <laughs> uh, uh, cultural no. insecurities here. You should be um, happy you're not part of an evil fucking... Uh, Historic like witchcraft, witchcraft. Yeah, I don't don't know. know. Um, I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. I want magical powers. Fuck. Um, So, (laughs) so we we get this commercial, and they're making it really clear that this is going to be important, right? Like, despite it just being a commercial on TV, everything we're seeing here is telling us something. We're getting we're getting foreshadowing. Oh yeah, and we get some more in a second because a sudden power outage plunges us into darkness, and the attendant starts hearing strange noises. When he gets up to investigate, there's another jump scare as that running guy from earlier pops out, grabs at the attendant, then collapses. But before he passes out, he hands the attendant a Halloween mask and gives him a cryptic warning. They're coming. And the mask is one of the ones from the company in the commercial. Yeah, so apparently this Shamrock company is sort of like the biggest producer of masks in the world or in America at least. So they're like the number one producer of good Halloween masks. They're the ones all the kids want. Yeah, everyone wants them. So that's what all these ads are about. And I guess they're going to have a special event on Halloween for all the kids who are watching it. When he's watching the TV, before we get the ad, we do get a little like news preview of a big chunk of Stonehenge has been stolen. Oh, see, I didn't notice that. That's, oh, uh, yeah. On okay. there, there is a news article and they tell us this and they're like, a special blue chunk of Stonehenge has been stolen. And we're like, well... That's going to play a part, I guess, in what's going to happen here. You know what? I'm glad I didn't notice that because when a reveal happens later, I enjoyed it so much more for how seemingly out of left field it came. But that's that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> from there, we cut to the star of our film, horror legend Tom Atkins, who you might remember from Night of the Creeps last season. Yes. You know, the one where he played a burned out cop. Well, that's when he plays a burned out doctor and uh, he's come to visit his kids like, with their mom, their divorce, whatever. And he brought them a gift. Halloween masks. It's a nice gesture, but unfortunately, his ex-wife already got the kids' masks. Silver shamrock masks. You know, the good ones? Yeah, good ones. Yeah, he is very quickly depicted as uh, a workaholic and a pretty bad dad. And a drinker. Yeah. And a drinker. Yeah, yeah. it's funny how close this character is to the uh, other one that you described there. It's funny. I guess you get pigeonholed uh, in those kind of roles and you just keep rolling with them. Yeah, it's very similar. Uh, He doesn't have time to dwell on the whole mask thing, though, as his beeper goes off. Remember beepers? (laughs) And uh, he's got to get back to the hospital. It turns out the gas station attendant brought our running friend in, and our boy, Dr. Tom, needs to take a look at him. They put this guy in a room to rest, but a short time later, he gets an unwelcome visitor. I'm pretty sure it's the same Strangler guy from earlier, but it could be someone else. Either way, this guy walks up and like pushes down on his nose in a way that kills him. I have no idea what he did here. So it's interesting. So while he's in the hallway, though, like when they get him in there, when our doctor, the character they just introduced, first meets him, he does kind of wake up and he's coherent for just a second. And he does give us the, they're going to kill us, all of us, right? Yeah. More of that foreshadowing. And then we get a little interaction between the doctor and a nurse. We're getting some perv action in here, right? Like some inappropriate ass grabbing and the kind of 80s uh, relationship that you expect to see on screen. Okay, but it seems like, I had that same thought, but then as we see more interactions with Tom Atkins in the movie, it seems like he's that way with everyone. 
Like, I think Tom Atkins is just open for business or casting a wide net. Like, he literally, it seems like, tries to sleep with every woman that he meets in this movie. Oh, absolutely. This is just the start of that. Then we do transition to that guy out of the 80s band. Uh, for sure, he's wearing that business outfit. What he does is he kind of grabs the guy's nose and he rips it out. He actually, like, physically rips it from his skull. He breaks his skull in a way and then clearly kills him. See, I thought he, like, pushed it into the guy's brain or something. I don't know. No, no, he grabs it and actually physically rips it off of his God face. Damn, yeah. Man. Either way, whatever it does, it works. The nurse that you mentioned stumbles upon this as the guy is leaving and her screams alert Tom Atkins who runs right past her terrible acting and out into the parking lot <laughs> just in time to see the assassin uh, get into this car, pour gasoline all over himself and blow himself up. And it's official. We're about 15 minutes in this movie and I have absolutely no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. It's clear that the guy who ran away with that mask figured something out that uh, nobody else in this movie knows yet. And and it's not good, right? No, we, no we it's, know not that good. it's not good. Uh, and it's clear that the people who created the mask or are behind it are willing to take themselves out to protect the truth. I guess so. So uh, either way, Dr. Tom and the police are going to try and put the pieces together in this, which uh, I hope they have better luck than I did. He does notice, strangely, though, a weird connection with the Silver Shamrock. Like, it's funny, at this point, he already recognizes that there's something up with that company. Well, the fact that the guy was clutching the mask, like, whatever's happening, like you said, it's a clear clue, and he picks it up. He's got some suspicions, or at least, like, questions. Luckily, uh, this dead guy had a daughter. She shows up to ID the body, so she will no doubt be able to provide them with more information. But before that can happen, we get a quick visit to the coroner's office where the assistant coroner tells Tom Atkins that she doesn't know anything about the guy who just burned himself up. And uh, is it my imagination or does this scene kind of like fall apart at the end? They're kind of like talking over each other. Sentences start but never end. And uh, did they used to date also? I'm getting vibes from them also. I think definitely the latter, right? I, I agree. It, it's not a great scene, but they definitely used to date, and it seems like there's a weird interaction. It seems like she still wants to get banged by him, but she knows he's not reliable. So maybe this is an intentional thing. The awkwardness of their communication is meant to signify the awkwardness in their relationship, or are we just giving the producers of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, way too much credit? Well, I think it's both, but I think they're trying to look at the evidence, and I think she lets them know that something's been fucked up here, right? Is this where she tells him that there's something wrong with the evidence that they've shared with him? She doesn't that a few times this is kind of the first thing where she's like she hasn't had a chance to look at it i don't think that comes later she's not quite there yet no. but yeah it's interesting they are trying to show that she's important to the story but really they just keep moving back to her in the story to move along the plot and drop hints yeah that's true she's kind of there to provide us with some more clues and some more kind of like leads now the last thing that she asks him is if he's going to be all right and it sure doesn't look like it in our next scene as he's drinking by himself in a dive bar where he is literally the only patron at least until the dead runner's daughter, Ellie Grimbridge is her name, shows up looking for some answers herself. He very intensely tells her what he knows. I saw something that night. I don't know. Your father came into the hospital and he... I thought he was crazy, out of his mind. He's hanging onto a Halloween mask. He wouldn't let it go. And what he said was, they're going to kill us all. And in a little while, he was dead. But neither one of them has the answers the other's looking for. So it looks like we're going to have a good old-fashioned team-up. <laughs> Yeah, this is really weird. This team I found very problematic, right? We've got this doctor who is clearly a bad dad, right? Not not good at being a father. Um, but Well, hang on, though, because we don't really get, see him have a chance to dad in this movie so much. The impression that I got in this and the way they kind of... Well, but I feel like they really dial up the idea that his ex-wife is like a nattering bitch. 
for lack of a better really? term. So I, didn't I even, felt yeah. like she was made to yeah. be very stereotypical in her portrayal. Like every time he calls, she's complaining about something. She's yelling at him. Like, I feel like they painted her to be the bad That's guy. That's interesting. So, and we're supposed to be sympathetic to him. I didn't get that. I, I did get that she didn't listen, right? Anytime he called, uh, what I took that to be, though, was that she'd heard the excuses too many times and that he always put work first. And this is where he's doing that, right? He wants to figure out what happened to this guy. He wasn't satisfied with, uh, like, the way that ended. While they're there in that bar, that's where we get the ad on the TV for Halloween. We get the only connection to the Halloween series here. Right, okay, but I have thoughts about this. Because this is, like, a weird meta thing. Because they're watching a preview for the movie Halloween. Yes. Like, Halloween in this universe is a movie that the characters, similar to us. So this story is supposed to be happening, like, in real life? It's supposed to be our universe, yeah. I mean, that's just insane. <laughs> like, I feel like uh, we referred to this earlier as the only connection to the original franchise. I feel like we're being very generous by calling it a connection. Clearly, they put it in so that they could justify calling this a part of the Halloween. Yeah, this is them trying to, like, make money off a movie that's basically a turd. So John Carpenter's name is in the credits. As a producer, but I'm assuming that was mostly, like, title only. I don't think John Carpenter contributed fucking five Any minutes money of his life or to this creativity movie. No. into this. It was just sort of like, let's all get some extra money by putting this under the Halloween name. Yeah, because he's like, the Halloween franchise is essentially his. They had to, like, put him in a, as an EP just to, like, you know. Make it legit. To, to be able to put the name on it. Now, there's been a lot of Halloween movies since this. Yes, there have. And they have all been a part of the Halloween franchise. Ah. Uh, like theme or no? Well, I haven't seen all of them. I know at one point, like, I believe number four, they it's set in the regular continuity. They have like Dr. Loomis is in it, I think. They bring Michael Myers back. But like this one, as I understand it, is the most detached from, from the thing. Okay. Like, there's no whatever. So. Yeah, that was my that was kind of my feeling going through. I felt like this was a movie that they made, not even considering it being a part of the franchise. I don't this know. Makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why they chose this. I I really don't know. Well, that's what we got. We've also got like we mentioned that private citizen detective team up. And their first stop is Ellie's father's old store where she pulls out his very detailed records. It turns out he runs like a general store and he was stocking some of those uh, silver shamrock masks. He recently had some dealings with them. In fact, mere days before he died, he purchased some of those very same masks that he was clutching in his hand when this all began. So what they do is they decide to retrace his steps by making a trip out to the Silver Shamrock factory, which is set in like a small town that once they arrive, they get the sneaking suspicion that all is not what it seems. Yeah, this is funny, right? Um, you called him a detective, right? But he's well, really no, a doctor. No, I, I know, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are forming a detective, detective team, which is, which is funny. The, the notes definitely help, right? That ledger that he's keeping in the store, give them the exact date he's gone and figure out the date he's supposed to be back, right? So they've got a time frame. They're going to head over there. This doctor, dad of the year, was supposed to have his children that weekend. And yes. Yeah, so he calls his ex-wife, and this is where we get that diatribe, like you said, where she just shits on him on the phone, and we get her not coming off so great. Well, I guess I, I'm, I'm kind of flipping sides in this now, because yeah. as you pointed out, he he's now bailing his kids. for. He, he doesn't really have to do this. He's just got the, like, his brain's yeah. working. But also, like, we can agree at the very least he's an alcoholic. So, like, well, his wife's mad at him, but probably she's justified in being mad at him. Well, and I'm going to add to this. So he decides to go with this much younger woman to go figure out what's happening. And his first priority is to go buy a six-pack of beer to bring along with them. They very clearly show him he's buying an, that. He's an alcoholic. A, what do you want him to do? He's got he, a function. <laughs> they're trying to solve this case. He's got a function. So they, they buy that, and then they're headed off to Santa Mira, California. And again, it's a small town. As soon as they arrive, they feel like they're being watched by everyone because they are. 
And they decide to grab a couple of rooms in the nearby motel where they meet just a colorful bunch of characters. In addition to the extremely Irish motel owner, there's Buddy Kupfer along with his sultry wife, Betty, and his douchey son, Little Buddy. That guy's a fucking <laughs> asshole. Uh, I, and older sultry? Sultry? I think, I think she had, oh, a, I she think had, she a had kind of like a simmering sexiness to her. Mm. That's how I felt anyway. And also there, angry career woman Marge Gutman. Speaking of female stereotypes, she's just fucking complaining about everything. This character seemed like it came out of uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, dude, there's so <laughs> many Willy Wonka things in here. Yeah. We get a quick brush with the owner of Silver Shamrock, a guy by the name of Conal Cochran, who just happens to drive by in a car that looks very similar to the one that was uh, chasing that guy at the start of the movie. And uh, at 6 o'clock that night, a loudspeaker starts going off in the town announcing that curfew is in effect and everyone must return to their homes. That's extremely weird. Yeah, this is a really interesting town, right? We we get everyone basically who works or lives in the town loves the owner of the Shamrock Factory. Everything kind of revolves around him. He's setting the tone for the town. We have the curfew. Everyone sort of heads home. No one's out. It's really interesting to see this strange place where everything is built around mass. Now, it wasn't always a mask creation, or uh, but it was a toy store before that. Novelty, right? like gags and jokes, they said. Whatever it is, I'm not sure it warrants all of the extremely heavy-duty surveillance cameras that we see kind of like scanning the deserted streets. This whole thing is weird, but perhaps nothing is weirder than what happens before this. As, 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 I'm as sorry. Despite, uh, that was fine. Yeah. Uh, as uh, despite her being like maybe 20 years his junior, and despite the fact that they've known each other for like what, an afternoon? Yeah. The dead guy's daughter invites Tom Atkins to bang her. Where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? That's a dumb question, Miss Grimpage. Not only have they owned each other for less than 24 hours, they just got to the hotel. They've been in the hotel for like five minutes. How horny is this lady? Yeah. So the two of them are trying to figure out her dad's death. They go to the last place where they know he went and problems started. They have to get a motel together because curfew's been called and they need to stay there. Tom Atkins suggests that he gets a second room. And he, she's, he's a gentleman. And she says no because they need to keep up the cover that they are a couple. That's true. Which yeah. is the cover that he created. So maybe. Yeah, it's a, bit <laughs> of a, it's a little bit sketchy here. Now, when she says, where do you want to sleep, doctor? He tells her it's a dumb question. And then immediately they make out him. Yeah. And again, they've been at the hotel for like five minutes. The second they walk in the hotel door, she's like, do me. What is that? I mean, people deal with grief in different ways, but picking an old man to f*** who <laughs> is supposed to replace your father is maybe not the tactic that I would choose. God damn, yeah, Dr. Nolan know. over here yeah. diagnosing this lady. <laughs> well, uh, after that, fueled by alcoholism and emboldened by his dalliance with a hot young stranger, Tom Atkins decides to break curfew to get himself a bottle, and on his way back to the hotel, he meets one of your favorite stock characters. The prophetic drug? It's the prophetic homeless guy. Yeah, man. I know, I wrote in my notes, I was cheering when he showed up. So we've got one like prophetic drunk or homeless guy yeah, who, who doesn't want to follow the rules. I think he was there before like Connell uh, took over the town. Yeah, right? he said you wanted to get a job there, they wouldn't hire him. You love the prophetic homeless guy. You called this back in like our first season with Jason Takes Manhattan. You were like, oh, there's always a guy like this in the movies. I, it is one of my favorite characters. If ever I create any kind of movie, horror or not, I'm pu putting a prophetic drunkard into it just because it has to happen. Oh, and this guy has got all kinds of information. He's heard rumors of strange things happening at the factory, but there's apparently one thing he's never heard of, 
acting lessons. <laughs> oh God, he's, he's really, really, really bad. bad. <laughs> um, he, he, they have this conversation. He divulges too much information. We know that there are cameras and people are listening all over. He motherfucks them. He tells Cochran to fuck off. And then he wanders back to, I think he's living in like a junkyard. It seems like he's made a home inside of a like container, a shipping container. So he gets his way back there, and who shows up to uh, greet him when he arrives? Well, there's a bright light in his face. He's walking around muttering the word Halloween over and over again. I'm like, all right, we get it. It's Halloween. And a couple of goons are there, and they kind of push him down onto his knees, mime him, blowing them, and then literally rip his head off. (laughs) Like, they just pull his head off his body. I did not see the mime blowing. Uh, oh come like, on! I did he's not right down. That. He's no. face right up at the guy. They kind of shake his head back and forth. I and mean, they pull it off. whenever anyone's on their knees, you assume, bl- I guess. But um, <laughs> they definitely rip his head off. What's clear to us at this point, or clear to me, is that these aren't people who are doing the killings. No, I had this thought actually in the very first scene where I got pinned by the car. I'm like, are these robots? Like they were the yeah. way they're moving and reacting so strangely. And also how are they getting the strength to do this? You can't rip yeah. a guy's fucking head off no. his body. They are just fucking hitting us over the head that these things are robots. We're, we're building here to knowing that this was a toy factory and we kind of have a creative genius who runs this company. So we, we kind of know already what's going on here. I guess so. Meanwhile, back at the motel, Ellie bumps into Marge and they make some small talk before Marge gives us a key piece of information that's going to blow this whole thing wide open. When commenting on how the quality of the mask has been slipping, she points out that the extremely solid looking company logo on one of her masks has just fallen right off. And later in her hotel room, we see it fall on the floor, and the underside sure seems to look like a microchip, doesn't it? It absolutely is. We laughed a lot about the computer screen intro to this. We're about to get some of the most fucked up technological or science fiction in a movie I've ever seen. It's kind of great in how like awful it is. Like I, I was like, this is so weird. I was laughing and also cursing at the screen at the same time. But you were laughing. I was laughing. <laughs> I yeah. was laughing. You're right. I'm going to let you get into this though. Well, okay. So that scene you're describing happens in a second. First, right. Tom Atkins makes a couple of really smart moves here. Uh, he checks in with the assistant coroner for an update. She tells him there's no results because the samples they tested turned out to be metal and plastic. So clearly someone mixed up the sample envelopes. Or did they? Oh, it's a robot. Oh. Now his second smart move is returning to the hotel room where Ellie is waiting for him in lingerie to bang him again. And and just in case you're worried this relationship isn't unrealistic enough or that Tom Atkins isn't getting enough young strange, she wakes up and bangs him a third time like 15 minutes later. What a fucking lucky man. <laughs> He's doing all right for himself for sure. <laughs> random random oh. woman meets him because her father died in his hospital and then he bangs her three times in like a 12-hour period. <laughs> as long as he's known her. Now, I only see two possibilities here. Number one, she's a nymphomaniac. Or number two, <laughs> Tom Atkins exudes some kind of musky Victor Mature-like scent that drives the ladies wild. Or maybe it's his mustache. He's got a pretty sweet stash. Like on a scale of one to Tom Selleck, I give it like an eight. He's got a good stash. You you neglected option. You said what? Two options there? Yeah. You neglected option three. He's hung like a horse, man. Oh, he's, got- <laughs> he's just got a like a <laughs> massive dong. How did you know that the first time though? She could tell. She saw like they wore a lot of tight pants at that time. His hospital, his hospital pants did not hide anything. It's I don't just know if you were looking side to yeah. side. Oh yeah, when you, when you see it swinging and bouncing off his knees, you know that that's the kind of doc that you're into. 
God damn it. Uh, oh, hold on. I want to bring something up too. Okay. Because when we get back to this, we get him straight her nipple in mouth. Now, hang on. I no, got to come on. back to season one. We don't really see it in, in his mouth. We see it, it's an above shot. We see like a yeah, top view. Yeah. His head's right there. It, there does seem to be some skin movement, like he's got it in his mouth. But I was, I thought that too. I'm like, oh, <laughs> damn it. I once I once said that I had never seen nipple and mouth before, that I've, I've actually now seen it like six times since then. Yeah. So I've been just, proven, just in the movies we watch for the podcast. I've so. been proven very wrong yeah. on that. Yeah, so now we get to what you described earlier and what is, in my opinion, the first truly great scene in this movie. Marge is in her hotel room, basically having the exact opposite night as Tom Atkins when she spots the mask logo on the floor. She picks it up and starts poking at the microchip part, which causes a giant blue laser to shoot out and nail her right in the face. She pulls her hands away to reveal some pretty decent practical effects. Her eyes are these like bloody spheres and her face is all split open. And then like a spider or something crawls out of her exploded mouth. And all I could think of was, where did that spider come from? Did it ride the laser beam into her head? Yeah. What, <laughs> what was this? So so this is fucked up. Um, March takes a bobby pin out of her hair, right? That's what she starts like poking at this microchip with. The most baffling part about this entire scene and the fact that this comes up later is I don't understand why bugs start coming out of people's heads when the chip goes off. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, makes it makes no sense. absolutely no fucking sense and like a whole bunch of bugs start coming out and we're going to get more of that later. The cool part of this scene was how it melted her face. Like that was actually it's quite well done. It's a good well effect. Done. I mean yeah. the laser effect's terrible. Let's agree. Yeah. Oh, the laser, the laser is really brutal. bad. But when yeah. she pulls her hands away and reveals her like mangled face, that's some solid work. But it made no fucking sense no. like the only reason why this is palatable why like anyone could watch this and be like this is okay is if they didn't understand what a microchip was <laughs> like literally this is only okay because it happened at the time when they were kind of new or people yeah. didn't think about them it's a valid concern people were like what if i touch this in a laser yes shoots me exactly the like that's the only reason why this makes sense yeah. at this point in our lives if you saw one of these you would never feel threatened by it no a hundred percent no i would have not expect a blue laser that would then have my my face be destroyed and spiders club to happen. No, never. No. Now, this is a weird situation, but it gets even weirder. When a van full of scientist-looking types from Silver Shamrock pull up, load up her body, and take her back to the factory, where, according to Mr. Cochran, she'll receive the best treatment that money can buy. In the factory? Do they have, like, a fucking medical staff? Yeah, they got a good med bay there. That's what I heard. Uh, they're really taking care of their workers, uh, especially the ones that are made out of electronics. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, they don't really buy it, right? Like, our doctor is like, Ugh, But they both know that they can't really speak up at this point. They're kind of in a bad spot. They need more information because they want to find out what happened to our young lover's father. And so they kind of have to play the game right now. Yeah, and they head to the factory to get more information. What uh, they don't find immediately is information about Ellie's dad, but they do get invited on a guided tour when Buddy Cupfort and his family show up at Mr. Cochran's request. So basically, now we're in a poor man's Willy Wonka, but Tom Atkins does get something out of this. He finds out that part of the mask production includes a mysterious final processing procedure, more on that later, and he also notices a series of extremely still security guards. But that's nothing compared to what Ellie notices, her father's car sitting in a guarded section of the factory. Yeah, this is... 
<laughs> it's hard to even talk about this because this whole scene is kind of shit, right? The reason why they're there is to check on the shipment. They make an excuse and say that uh, they didn't receive the shipment they were supposed to get. And they actually say that they're willing to give them the product for free, even though they didn't get it. But the like people who were staying in the motel next door, the one with the wife that you saw, thought was kind of sultry, right? Yeah, Buddy Kupfer. Yeah, they were the biggest sellers of the mass, right? And so they're going to get that salesman. tour. They're going to get sent around. But the tour sucks. Right, like we got people pouring latex into some fucking molds, and they're like, "Oh, this is great." And then, like you said, there's a hidden door; you can't see what's happening behind it. Yeah, it's boring as fuck. I had the thought too. I'm like, "This tour blows ass." Like, yeah. no one was excited about it. When this. you said it was Willy Wonka, it is a way less man's, than that. Yeah, yeah it's a homeless like, man's Willy Wonka. Oh god, it's way, way less than that. Yeah. You think it's gonna be cool? At this point, I'm kind of like, "What are they doing with these masks?" I know it's fucked up. Are they gonna turn all the kids into murderers? I was like, I was wondering if it was like a mind control device or something. I was like, this could go a cool place. They could have this where when the, <laughs> yeah, I mean, could have. I mean, yeah, could I have. mean, yeah, this could go into an interesting place where the kids like sort of take on powers because they're wearing the mask and they've been mind controlled by the people who run this. I was like, this could be a really, really interesting end to a story. And then we kind of move from there. The, the tour kind of ends for them when they notice the car, like you said, and they get escorted out. Well, Tom Atkins wisely decides it's time to get the hell out of there, especially now that Ellie has put a crack in their cover story with how she reacted to seeing the car. He goes to call the police while Ellie packs up, but his call mysteriously cannot be completed as dialed. And when he heads back to the room, he finds that she's gone. He also finds five goons standing in a straight line and staring at him. So he's got to make a run for it. And run he does right back to the factory. This whole chase scene is hilarious. Him running and hiding behind bushes. Ellie's clearly been captured and he needs to save her because he wants to have more like inappropriate sex with her. Now, why is it inappropriate? She's an adult. She Well, we don't actually know if she's an adult. He asks how old she is and she says older than I look, which is not really an answer that I would accept if I was him. And he only asked that after they were about to have sex for the third time, by the way. No, so, second time. No, no, second no. Time. It was third time. He asked that pre-third sex. Oh, no, you're right. It was yeah. third time. Yeah. <laughs> he's already he's already double uh, yeah. fucking, yeah. If you've dipped twice, it's no it's not even no point D- to ask Double dipped in the statutory yeah. pond? Yeah, yeah it's yeah, not good. Know, not worth that. Not a good place to dip. Yeah. So he makes, he makes it to the factory. <laughs> and once inside, he dodges security cameras and decides to check out a couple of rooms that were off limits on the tour. One of them has what is clearly an animatronic lady knitting, only he thinks it's real, right up until the moment that he shakes it and his head falls off. Like, come on, man. That was clearly a robot. What are you doing? Yeah, this, <laughs> this is hilarious and fucked up, right? They're pounding us with techno mood music right now as this whole thing is building and he's in there. It's kind of working, but it's really over the top. The, the synth, synth is, is overwhelming. Just, it's it's just overwhelming. So much. But I agree, it's kind of working. It's kind of working. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this commotion is enough for one of the goons to find him. And now we've got a fight that he quickly realizes he probably isn't going to win. At least not by punching the goon in the face, as that has no effect. But once he decides to work the body, he manages to punch right through its stomach and not only defeat it, but reveal the horrible truth robots. So he beats this robot, and then all of a sudden he's just like, I'm fucking done. He Almost like he quits. Like, he's like, I'm done with life. I've, I've defeated a robot, but I know that I can't win against a robot army. He just accepts being captured at this point. Oh, for sure he does. And sure enough, they've got him now. And Mr. Cochran is going to be kind enough to go full Bond villain here and explain his master plan. But first, he laments the loss of the animatronic knitting lady, which he claims was made in Austria in the 1700s. Is that even possible? I think that... Some of the, like, gear-based robotics probably started that early, yeah. But the outer part? Like, her face? Oh, There's no he, fucking way. He might have done that, right? Like, okay. we know that his specialty is the latex, right? It is making the exterior of these things. So I could see him, like, fixing that shit up. 
Well, another possibility here is uh, that he's telling the truth because as he reveals, the Silver Shamrock Company has created everything they have by using ancient technology. See, what they did is they acquired one of the giant rocks from Stonehenge. Yes, you heard me. They got this giant rock because they knew that it contained unlimited power. I'll let Cochran explain it himself. It has a power, I think. A force. Even a particle. Devastating. This is it, Noel. We're off the fucking rails. <laughs> we are off the fucking rails in this movie. Uh, uh, now, I know they previewed a big piece of Stonehenge being stolen earlier in the movie, but I was shitting myself, like what is laughing happening? and is crying at what this was. So, so basically what they're telling us is if you put a small particle of Stonehenge on a microchip. A single particle. A single particle one. on a microchip, it has <laughs> magical and mystical powers. Ba- so, this, this, so Connell Cochran and the Irish are basically evil geniuses who use fucking evil powers to yeah. create, what, lasers that turn children into monsters? He decides to show Tom Atkins exactly what he's going to use his power for. He directs his attention to a monitor. It's basically a living room set in like a bunker. And some of his goons escort Buddy Kupfer and family inside. They have no idea why they're there. Buddy thinks maybe he's supposed to provide feedback on some commercials. But once the TV flicks on, they get a lot more than that. Instructions on the screen tell all the children to gather around and put on their silver shamrock mask, which little Buddy does. And as the commercial continues, we see the Silver Shamrock logo start to light up and little Buddy collapses to the floor as his mask starts to disintegrate. And to cap it all off, a bunch of bugs and snakes crawl out of his head. And again, I ask, where are these bugs coming from? I was livid. I was literally like, this is fucking brutal. It wasn't scary and it was annoying. It was like the understanding of how a microchip works with the magic of Stonehenge does not make this a fucking possibility. <laughs> the magic of Stonehenge. Yeah. yeah, and you know what doesn't help also is the acting from everybody here. Oh is really my god. Bad. I wrote that Atkins down too. too. Oh. And you know what? Atkins has been solid, but his reaction shots oh. to seeing this kid get killed are not strong. I was losing at, at how bad the acting was during this section. The whole family, I was like, I guess they're all dead. I hope they're all dead because the acting makes they deserve it. it was I was that sad bad. that the wife was dead, but other than that, I was all right with it. So <laughs> I don't understand where you're coming from here. I, I think really, she's got oh something. I think God. she's got a, a subtle, a subtle attractiveness. Whatever. Ooh, ooh. So now we finally know what the plan is. Cochran and the Silver Shamrock crew are going to murder as many children as possible because he's a fan of the true meaning of Halloween, which is human sacrifice slash witchcraft. He tells us this in his Oscars monologue, and as we see in a short kids in mass montage, they are going to murder a lot of kids all across the USA. He's saying that this is his best ever joke and that this kind of happened. Like, this is kind of the history of Halloween. This is what happened pre, like, it becoming a candy fest. In Ireland, apparently. Yeah. Because well, yeah, the Irish yeah. are the witches who started this whole thing. Well, yeah. And then I'm like, Cochran's a witch? And, and then he's like, well, the planets are aligned. It's time. Like, every 400 fucking years this happens. And I'm like, what the fuck? fuck like yeah. honestly like this guy who makes toys and was a bit of a magician is an irishman is now just fucking gonna murder all the children because it's a hilarious joke could you have ever imagined 30 minutes ago in this movie that this is the direction this is all gonna take no no this is such a sharp turn is unbelievable it's and it's not even a fun or creative one well it's we, just like let's you know. murder all the fucking kids because why not we'll share our ratings on uh, enjoyability later and stuff but uh you know we'll see anyway yeah. 
At this point, we leave for a moment to visit Tom Atkins' assistant coroner friend. She tries to call the motel he was staying at, but her call also cannot be completed as dialed, which is too bad because she wanted to tell him about a mechanical part she found that definitely isn't a car part. So she basically puts this all together right before one of the Silver Shamrock goons breaks in and murders her with a drill. She was in the middle of dialing the sheriff when it happens, actually. So close. So close. <laughs> she figured it out just a second too late, right? And it's the, like, it seems, it, when you talk about padding a lot, this scene didn't seem necessary. Only in the fact that it, like, tells us that she figured out it was robots. But we already know it's robots. I know, exactly. And you then could have cut all her scenes. Yeah, yeah. Not really necessary, right? And he, like, pushes her down. He uses the drill. But they don't show anything. Like, it's not even, like, a cool, like, if you're in a horror movie and you want to have a scene like that, make it look awesome so that it is gruesome and people get something from it. Okay, that. now I, I've got to get a little film schooly on you here for a minute because there is a rationale behind not showing it and the rationale is that a person's imagination will take it to a darker place than whatever you could show having to wonder creates like a greater yeah. feeling of distress and like whatever than actually seeing it yourself so there is something okay. to that and there's an element what happened there, there? Or they just didn't have the budget yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, one or the yeah, other. It's fucking the same yeah, one I don't know. for sure. <laughs> Back at the factory, Tom Atkins is in trouble. He's tied up, masked, and pointed at a TV, but he manages to escape by breaking the TV, using a piece of the broken glass to cut his restraints, and then frisbeeing his mask directly onto the security camera, which made me laugh out loud. <laughs> oh my God, I lost my shit. Now, all of this is supposed to be way more intense because we know his children have those masks. That is a key factor, which we especially, we get more of that uh, soon because he climbs up into the vents, manages to make his way to the part of the factory with the phone so he can call his ex-wife and tell her to get rid of the silver shamrock mask that she bought their kids. Unsurprisingly, she basically tells him to fuck off, so that's bad. But on the bright side, at least this is one argument he's definitely going to win later. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. great, yeah. Uh, yeah, the children are dead, and it's your fucking fault, Linda, you well, hey, man, listen, if he's, if he's, <laughs> good Lord, if he's acrimonious with the ex-wife, at, at the very least, silver lining is he'll get a win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not worth it. Not well, worth it. Probably not. <laughs> not worth it. No, yeah. probably yeah. not. Yeah, as a father, I will tell you, uh, yeah, not worth it. Uh, but you know what? And you're shitting on him for being a bad dad. That's his first move. He calls oh, yeah. first. That's he doesn't he go to look yeah, for yeah, his yeah. young yeah. fucking piece of tail, but he does do that next. He goes to rescue Ellie, which he does. But uh, they spot him on the security cameras. You know where they don't spot him, though? The control room, which contains like a dozen people. But no big deal. He sneaks right up to one of those classic blinking lights control panels, then presses the exact combination of buttons required to play the commercial that makes the lasers activate. Then, before anyone can catch him or turn it off, he grabs a box of the microchip lasers, runs up some stairs to a catwalk, opens it up, and dumps them down into the room where they naturally activate and kill almost everyone. In all seriousness, we've watched a lot of bad movies. If this isn't the most unbelievable series of events in a movie that we've watched, it's got to be top three. This is absurd. It's absurd. It might be the most batshit scene in any movie we've watched together. It's ridiculous. It's fucking insane. You missed or you forgot to tell everyone that the way that they get into position so he can do this is fucking hide behind a rolling trolley full of masks. I did miss that, yes. They fucking hide and roll the trolley like someone who hides in a bush in a cartoon and walks along. With the bush, yes, carrying the yeah, bush. that <laughs> is exactly what fucking happens. And that's how he gets into position to hit all the buttons. They should have been noticed so many times. I, I lost my fucking shit as this was happening because I was like, I cannot understand. If Cochran is that smart, how did he not see this coming? 
It's a great question. You know who else is upset about this? The Stonehenge rock as it disintegrates Cochrane before blowing up and basically destroying the factory. So that's good, right? But they've still got to try to get word to somebody before this commercial airs. And once again, we find ourselves cursed by a lack of cell phones. Oh, the 80s. You're right. The rest of this movie would be solved with an easy cell phone call or text or post on social media or anything. But instead, what he has to do is call the three TV stations who currently are in operation in the United States at this okay. time. But that, that happens later. First, we have another problem, which is, you know who has not said a single word since Tom Atkins rescued her? Ellie. He finally uh, notices as he's driving, and sure enough, she attacks him, having been robotized by the silver shamrock scientist. But, like, did they just turn her into a robot or kill her and make a robot that looks like her? Because neither one is possible if you think about it for, like, 30 seconds. I was really confused. I didn't understand, and what I couldn't understand was... Was she a robot all along? Like a sex robot? <laughs> just... well, maybe. No. Are you sure? Yes. How do you know it was a different Ellie? Because the way she's acting changes dramatically after he rescues her. He rescues her, she says nothing. She's she like doesn't blank do expression, anything. says yeah. nothing, doesn't try to f him, which is out of character for her. What happened you to the original Ellie? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't make any sense. What, no, whatever I, this I, is. I kind of hated this part. Like, I, I mean, yeah. there's a lot to hate in this movie, but this part really annoyed me. Um, I mean, I get why they did it. It, it's one last kind of like twist. twist. Yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. It makes yeah. no sense, no, which is a problem with I this. I didn't like either. He kind of, he's able to like stop her in a way, except her arm rips off and tries to strangle him to death. Well, dude, it takes him like four tries to kill her, including crashing the car. Yeah, the arm, which is attached, still tries to choke him. Her body, which has no head, tries to kill him still. It takes many turns, but yes, he does stop her. And now he's got to run to the nearest phone, which just happens to be at the same gas station from the beginning of yeah. this movie. And, you know, I kind of like this. I like when we start and stop at the same place. I like the bookends. What I do like is I like that the gas station tenant is like, don't I know you? Like, he at least acknowledges it because I was like, what the fuck? What are the chances? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane, right? He gets there to the ending. And he sees on the TV that they're about to have the finale of our Silver Shamrock contest. And we know what that is. We know it's that fucking creepy pumpkin that's going to fuck all kids up, right? It's going to turn their faces into fucking snakes and bugs. Yeah. So what he does is he makes the phone call to someone who controls all of the major television networks. Like, okay, A, who did he just call? And B... How does he find that number? He called the operator. He just hit zero. Operator, he, he, can you get me the head of all the major networks, but yeah. it's one guy? Yeah, I need three networks. I need to talk to each one. He successfully convinces two networks to shut it off. Well, they do, but there's some kids at the gas station, and they do what any rational person would do, which is when it goes on technical difficulty, they turn the channel. So they turn from the first course to the second one. It stops. They turn to the third channel, and that one just keeps going. And the movie ends with Tom Atkins becoming increasingly frantic as he yells, Stop it! 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 To no avail, and we're into the credits. And I gotta be honest, I love this dark ending. Yeah. Um, you can only assume that the ending is his kids' fucking faces turning into snakes and bugs. Them and a fucking, like, million other kids around the U.S. Yeah. And I mean, it makes no fucking sense, right? Like, clearly yeah. that doesn't, <laughs> yeah. clearly there's, I didn't, 
fear or I wasn't upset in that way, but it is a nice way to end it because you know that he wasn't able to overcome what he was trying to stop. Yeah, there's something about seeing the main character come so close to succeeding only to have it snatched away at the last second that kind of really boosts the drama. It makes this thing land, you know? Like yourself, though, I just wish that everything in the 15 minutes before it hadn't been so patently ludicrous. Like, oh, I wouldn't say it yeah. took me out of it, but it's oh. pretty hard to justify. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, it is true. The The fact that all of that happened, the fact that the science fiction at this point was just so fucking awful yeah. that it didn't make any sense. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, right? Because the way that it ended, and even that, like, creepy pumpkin with the techno sound is not ineffective. It's a good ending. Yeah. Dark. Like, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's a horror ending. And in Night of the Creeps, like, we saw the ending where, like, basically they think they're safe and then the fucking dog, like aliens that girl yep like it, it i don't mind i almost feel like a horror movie should have a scary ending instead of being like a happy ever after you know? yeah no i think most should right and yeah. so in, in a way it shouldn't have been unexpected but uh what a struggle to get here it's weird right because it was such a <laughs> such a kind of cool ending i still hate that that's the way that the mass worked out like i wish yeah. the mass did something way cooler well, than what they did you there know, but you, you uh, write a screenplay then i will okay. i will fucking write a mass screenplay. halloween 17 yeah, let's see if they will season pick of the it up. Witch. They might as Second well pick it up. Yeah, yeah, we'll film the whole thing, and then Halloween will come to us and ask to fucking record. Yeah, <laughs> that's put what their I was name on it. Yeah. Well, I think this would be a good time to get to our ratings because we're already kind of saying things we liked and didn't like. So the way we always do this, we're on a scale of 1 to 10 two times. 1 to 10 for how bad it is, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable, and the goal is to find movies that are 10 out of 10 on both scales, or as we call it, the... Crit 20. And I'm going to go ahead and start us off here by saying that this movie is absolutely 10 out of 10 bad. The <laughs> premise is kind of ridiculous. The connection to Halloween is non-existent. Like they need to take the Halloween name off this like right now. Like retroactively go back and just fucking be like, you know what? Never mind. This is not a Halloween movie anymore. Halloween 4 is now Halloween 3. Uh Halloween 5 is now Halloween 4. No connection to the franchise. The the acting, god damn man! Like, listen, Tom Atkins is a pro. I still don't buy the sex appeal for Ellie, but he carries this movie on his back, which I guess in some ways is not really saying much. But I feel like if you put any number of other people in here, this thing is completely unwatchable. And just, instead of just like mostly unwatchable, as I mentioned, the witchcraft stuff seemed kind of sprinkled in there at the end. I don't think it was like part of the story before Cochran mentioned it. And it really wasn't afterwards either. Like, did they need an explanation for the lasers or why the guy was evil? I was like, could have like left that part out. Other than the decent, like practical FX, everything about this is just really hard to handle. Like you said, I've got it as a 10 bad. What do you think? Yeah, it's absolutely a 10. Yeah. There's no debate in this one. I thought the acting was garbage. I mean, other than, yeah, our main character, everything else was, was really bad. The story is fucking absurd. Right, like it's just, not good. just yeah. absolutely bonkers. There were no Michael Myers. No, there was no no fucking witches. No matter how much they try <laughs> to connect this like old Irish like toy maker to witches, it yeah. doesn't make any fucking sense to no me. No sense at all. No. So it is absolutely a ten out of ten bad. Okay, but how enjoyable did you find on a scale of one to ten? Yeah. So it's funny because they overuse the synth like crazy they uh, like i'm gonna stop you right there can you really overuse synth? well i mean i love it too yeah. um but so so much synth it does set the right mood though you said that the graphics were like some of the worst you've ever seen They're and they were bad. for the time but i felt like that that part of it was effective i yeah. hated what happened when the graphics were on but okay. i felt like that part was scary and interesting right I thought the music was good I laughed at some of the insane scenes. Oh, I laughed just a lot like, in this movie. That's especially good. that 15-minute stretch in the factory where nothing made sense. I was just losing my mind laughing yep. at it. 
And I actually thought that the Cochlin character, that like old Irish kind of guy, was okay. Like he I was, thought it like oddly effective. Yeah. Creepy in like a quiet way. Yeah. Yeah. I actually kind of liked it. So I, I gave it a seven enjoyable in terms of my rating. Would I like to watch it again? No. Should it be a part of the Halloween series? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, like, definitely get not. Get this the fuck out of the Halloween series. But okay. yeah, but that's where I kind of landed on it. I feel a little bit better about it than you do. I have it as an eight enjoyable. I actually like low key kind of really enjoyed this and I've now seen it twice. I probably will watch this again. Like this movie has enough stuff that I laughed at and really enjoyed. It was a laughable good time. Again, the plot makes no fucking sense. Many of their choices are ridiculous. The Halloween franchise, nothing to do with this. Get it fucking out. But I enjoyed watching this. It was not a hard watch for me, so I have it as neat. That's fair. I I actually didn't unenjoy my experience watching it. This one was an interesting movie, but it just pissed me off so much with the microchip and with the connection to Halloween that wasn't non-existent. I understand, but you know what I bet didn't piss you off? This beer. Oh, fuck no. This was delicious, man. I really enjoy IPAs and I really enjoy stouts. And one of the weird things is when you combine them together, it sounds like it's going to be disgusting, but it is not at all. Like I find like it adds another depth of flavor to the beer that you're drinking. I enjoy having those sort of chocolate or darker tones and then having it finish with the nice like IPA bitterness. I mean, I'll just say if this thing wasn't a dark RPA, I probably would have hated it. Like this, w- the fact that this was similar to a Stout Reporter made it very drinkable for me. And as much as I'm not an IPA guy and I'll never be an IPA guy, like this, I could drink on a fairly regular basis because to me it was more like a Stout Reporter. So God bless the fine folks at Second Wedge for doing that. You made this easy for me, guys, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. As far as IPAs go, if you want to count this as an IPA, it's easily my favorite one ever. Whoa! Shit. But I hate IPAs. What I'm saying, favorite it IPA, like an IPA ever. I love it. I love that uh, rating, though. That's pretty awesome. All right. So good stuff there from them. And again, after uh, that tornado stuff back in May, like please support them. Find their beer wherever you can yes. find it. I've had a few of their beers. I've enjoyed them all. So find their stuff, guys. It's very enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. If you can purchase it online or find it in the LCBO beer stores. Yeah. And uh, next week we are going to find something very enjoyable as well. I think. We're going to be watching a little film called Streets of Fire. All right. I have no idea what this is. Excellent. Streets of Fire is, uh, the the official thing says it's a rock and roll fable. Oh. So basically, it is a uh, musical with some 80s kind of rock elements in it. Uh, It's got some music written by Jim Steinman, the guy who did like a lot of meatloaf stuff, like Batter to Hell, etc. I think this will actually be like pretty up your alley because you're a guy who likes musicals. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're a guy who likes the 80s. I love it. Yeah, you're a guy who likes Rick Moranis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, honey, I shrunk the kid. Rick Moranis. Oh, it's a very different role for him in this, I tell you. But we're going to check that out next week. It was... uh, on paper, it's pretty interesting, but completely fucking bombed. <laughs> like, All just right. completely I'm bombed excited. at the box office. I'm excited. So we'll check that out. That'll be next week. Until then, if you have not already, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, send us suggestions for beer or movies, or uh, let us know if you uh, disagree or love the things that we're saying. Uh, feel free to also send us messages to the BMB Podcast at gmail.com. Sure, for sure. We're always looking for requests that we can uh, do to make the audience happy. But that's going to do it for this week. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it witchy. The night no one comes home.